Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Bench Units, or as we like to think of it, just yet another unfortunate side effect of the existence of the internet. I am joined by wheelchair basketball's Axel Rose. James McSorley, how's it going, man? I hate that. Um, I'm glad this interview is slightly more, I mean, this intro is slightly more on the rails as our last one. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we haven't just brought someone in to be like, hey, do you want to do this intro? No. All right. Will you? Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no complaints. Uh, yet. Great. Do you, I feel like we should have used this in the intro. Do you want to disclose your hilarious upcoming set of circumstances as an icebreaker, or do we want to leave that as a surprise to talk about after next week's game? No, nah, we'll talk about it next week. Um, it's fine. Um, we've, yeah. vamped for, we've vamped for a minute there, and if that hasn't lured people to come back and listen next week, then I don't know what will. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Uh, this is terrible. All right. Talking about terrible. Should we talk about some basketball? Yeah. Should we start with one of the worst games I've ever seen? <laughs> okay. Would that be, um, yeah, this was, there were not many like close games this week, were there? Uh, we're not. There were a couple of good ones sprinkled. In, oh, yeah. uh, um, there's obviously, for people who don't know, which I imagine is very few people, but the America's Cup. Is go or the Parapan Arms, excuse me, is going on um at the moment concurrently with a bunch of league games. So um teams that have anybody from either the USA or Canada or the various South American countries that have sent teams there. Um all the Mexicans are still hanging about in the leagues here. I don't know why Mexico. Yeah. That was one thing I wanted to talk about when we talked uh, about maybe my favorite game of the week, but there were Maybe the record for most people of non-Spanish or British nationality in a Spanish league game, as far as I can remember, there were five Mexicans on court at once. Well, and it's funny as well because I was like, I tried to be like, "Hey, Mexico would have a pretty decent team." It's like Lalo, four, uh, four, 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 four. Yeah, exactly. That. Salvador, Asso. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is why the others." <laughs> yeah. Um, now yeah. apparently there there's some I've heard there was some hijinks with federations and. What not? I don't know enough to not get myself in trouble trying to explain it, but there's some messing around with the federation, their federation, their national federation that kind of led them to not have a national team. But yeah, that's a shame. Um, but yeah, it's obviously various teams a little bit thin on the ground at this point. Mm -hmm. And when you're Hitafe only takes missing one guy to what what's the next level down to being thin on the ground being underground now <laughs> um that would be incredibly fitting given this game but this was grand canaria um minus both katie Donano and garrett ossipchuk uh as well as jorge salazar taking on hitafe without rodrigo perez and this one went about as you might expect yeah, 59-23, Grand Canaria, low scoring. Um, I think in these games where both teams are missing guys, like the team that's meant to win, it's probably like, hey, let's just go and let's just smash and grab. Let's get in there, win this game, get the hell out of here. Especially it being a home game for them, they're probably like, all right, let's show up, get this done, and I'll go home. But Well, um, if, get, if get this done was um, really the mantra, you would like to think that it would be something more... Um impactful than 12-6 in the first quarter. I wouldn't exactly call that getting it done. <laughs> but, um, Getafe 
didn't break double figures, unsurprisingly, given they only had 23 points in the game, didn't break double figures in any of the four quarters. So their scoring totals were six, five, four, and eight per 10-minute stretch. Uh, so it was 34-11 at halftime. And, that you know, the second quarter was, quite honestly, the only portion of the game. Having already seen the stats, I was like, oh, that looks like probably the most real reflection. I'll check that out. And, yeah, um, happened despite a relatively quiet Ramone game, who I would have thought would have just eaten these guys alive. Yeah, uh, if you told me that he got the 60 on his own on layups, I probably <laughs> would have you, but... Um, but, yeah, I also think this is maybe an element of a certain level of comfort knowing that the team you're going against is a worse than you and missing their you know kind of undisputed best player um so only Paco Quiles to break double figures for Hitafe who had 10 they had a couple of sixes and another solitary point thrown in from the rest of their roster uh Gran Canaria despite our laughing at the scoreline here, got four guys into double figures. So Christoph Kozarini with 16, Basti Kolb with 14, and then 10 apiece for Ramone and Raul Vega. And yeah, this was... You would you would have to hold so many guns to my head for me to come up with a lesson I learned from this game. And even then, I would be just saying it to get you to stop pointing guns at my head. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you would be like, hey, surely you have more important things to point guns about. Uh, can you, Can you? like, did you just get a gun for this? Um, but no, this is one of those, like, I don't know if the Spanish League or the European Leagues ever wanted to make a case to the IWBF that there should be, like, protected international windows and then protected league windows. You could, like, compile a couple of games and a couple of stats to be like, hey, this is, this is, this is what happens when, and it's like Gran Canaria were going to beat Catafe by forty. Well, yeah, it was there, but it would have been like eighty-five, forty-three rather than this. And Catafe got up. I think that says forty-two shots. The column has been cut off. So if Perez had been there, they probably would have do- doubled their number of shot attempts just via his um, willingness to launch. Yeah, so they that- would have shot more threes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that gets you most of the way there, but yeah, this was this game felt like something of a write off, um, really from the minute it tipped off, although it took kind of a full half of a game. But shouts to Gran Canaria, they took care of business in somewhat you know sleepwalking fashion, but I'll allow it. Yes, um, should we move on? Let's do it. Okay, so next one was Mediba 64, Vigo 74. Uh, I It took Vigo a little longer than I thought it would to take this game away from uh, Mediba that were missing Carlos Ocasio and, more importantly, John Hernandez. Yeah, weird. But got it done in the end, and I think the most important thing to talk about here is 35 points from Oscar Knight, who we've just come on here once every week or two and been like, hey, this guy is going nuts again. He's averaging 21, 9, and 4 in his first first game, in, I mean, first year in the league. Yeah, this is, um, I texted you about this game, I think, just after I'd watched it, and I was like, I've, if 35 points isn't official come on the podcast territory, then I don't know what is. So yeah, Oscar, Oscar Knight, Knight, come on, Ben's units. If you're listening, we'll be in touch at some point. Or if you want to make us feel wanted and like what we do is important, you know, hit us up and we'll sort it out. That would be ah, we don't need to feel important, but yeah, Oscar Knight. No, I do. More than Chasing welcome. people and never hearing back is extremely hurtful as much as I would like to pretend otherwise. 
Um, shout yeah, out to that, that does yeah. suck. You're right, but shout yeah. out to Amit Vigoda. Um, but yeah, I thought um, weirdly Vigo, despite having um, the least effect of most of these teams from the the uh, Pan Ams taking place, Jason Betancourt, who is of various Southern American descent, I think he's Venezuelan slash something else as well. Um, oh, I have no idea. He was present. They did his national team wasn't going. Lewis Edwards must be of some undisclosed Hispanic heritage because he wasn't available for this game. Um, yeah. That's the and, big thing as well. Like, I'm sorry, I should have led with that when I'm like, I don't know how Vigo couldn't get over the hump here. I kind of that 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 slipped to my mind for a second. That's why. <laughs> yeah, and the I think the the knock on effect of that obviously is um, their usual lineup, which is Agostin, um, kind of the three mids in Lewis, Oscar Knight, and Julio Villas. And then with their low pointer, they have to ch- change that up to get Yeson Betancourt and another low in. So a little bit of a different look from Vigo, but they're kind of three main sources of offense. Oh, sorry, they're two main creators of offense and Betancourt as main beneficiary. Those guys, you know, Oscar Knight, 35, Agostin with 18, Betancourt with 15. So... That will get it done against Madiba. It wasn't the most convincing game in the world. Um, yeah, I think I think it was interesting. There was a point where, because obviously they started um, Oscar Knight, um, um, Augustine Alejos, Jason Betancourt, and the two low pointers. And then they were kind of, because Jason isn't the most mobile on account of being massive. Um, like, can't move. he can't move that much, but I couldn't move him that well. Like, not many people could move that amount of man that well. So there's very few guys that are that size and that mobile. And they just went like point and a half under and yeah. put uh, Julio Villas in there and just kind of started running. And I think obviously all things being equal, if everyone was there, their hope would have been to just run Mediba off the court. Yeah. And it was interesting for them to be like, oh, we probably don't have to go to 14 and a half or whatever they're at with reductions and whatever. They're probably like, Hey, we're, we're fine. Like, we're stack. We're technically still going four, five, three mids, and a one. Like we're good. <laughs> I mean, two mids. Sorry, a two ones, and then they started just running, and the pace kind of kicked up. And I think that's when it started to look better. And it was just interesting to watch them be like, ah, no, like maybe Julio Villas being mobile and getting about the place is kind of more indicative of our style than. Yeah, especially just having to play to points. Especially when you're not going against a team where size is really any huge concern. Um, no. You know, Betancourt obviously gives you an advantage against a team like Madiba because they don't have anybody of that size. But if he's not leveraging that hugely successfully, there is a lot to be said for going with what you're best at. And yeah. quite frankly, there is always a lot to be said for just going with what you think is your best combination of five players. I It's one of my pet peeves is when coaches feel like they have to juice every half point and play up to 14 and a half all the time and it's like hey what if there's a combo of five guys that falls up less than that <laughs> that yeah. might just be better than what adds up to yeah. on paper it's, being- it's hard to go much under and not yeah. suffer at the higher level but there is times where it's like half a point less and you could probably squeeze this in but um totally. but yeah so should we run through these stats on the other side of the ball because he'd be with 22 and Jose Cano Arroyo with 25 in yeah, 
If you we've talked through these stats every every week of this season, bar one, I think. And I think when I flicked this game on to see what had gone on, if you'd have asked me which one is Jose Cano, I would have really, really struggled to point <laughs> to point him out. He's averaging four and four points and two rebounds. And he's had twenty-five and eight, and obviously he played three times a minute. He normally plays, but it's like Yeah, they should play him more minutes, man. <laughs> when uh, when John Hernandez comes back, they should maybe think about bringing John off the bench for this guy. It is it is like I think if you're coaching a team that you're missing your main guys for, the only thing that you can hope for is that some guys kind of come into the light a bit more and sort of have a bit more of a role on offense and maybe hit some more shots or get some more confidence or figure some spots out so that they can kind of fit in a bit more when everyone's back. But I don't know. It's a lot to lot to wish for, I guess. Um, I don't know why. I don't know. Like I, some of these teams, I don't know why they're still playing when like i don't know i assume these guys have all asked about putting games off yeah yeah but, so some of it was we have we've had a spat of games cancelled kind of obviously the americas um hasn't just been the case of this week there's teams have you know drawn into camp and such beforehand and um you know players have been heading back to join the national teams or whatever so we have been seeing games um get postponed or like reorganized for when everybody's present. There's apparently a bunch of these where the teams mutually agreed that, you know, the outcome probably wouldn't be much different if they played at reduced strength to if they they were at full strength. So maybe just get them out of the way. But um or there's some some of them where one team asks and the other team's like, ah, absolutely not. Yeah, we're gonna play you when you're missing guys. Absolutely. Um, which is their right, but I guess there's a thing of like, oh you better not need a favor next year when something similar happens. Yeah, I think I think um I think as well it depends. Like if I think if this had been say this had been you guys in Vigo's place and you fancy yourselves against Madiba at full strength or otherwise, you can be like, Yeah, you know, we'll roll it on and we'll play you at full strength because it's better for us. But you know, Vigo aren't typically in the position where they can afford to be risking you know, a a strong John Hernandez game might sink things for them and you know, these two the bottom of the league is only getting more competitive, so I respect any team who, you know, is is um not delusional enough to be like, hey, we'll we'll just take the win. <laughs> it really works out better for us. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. Should we should we move on? Let's do it. Cool. Next one. Also, not a whole lot to talk about. Elunion eighty three, Juventud thirty three. Uh yeah. yeah, this was. Yeah, I watched a bit of this, and then it was like, ah, no, I'm not gonna bother. <laughs> Unless you wanted to see a uh, efficient shooting, relatively low volume Lorenzo Envo game, not a whole lot to consume here. Um, a rare, Juventus... a rare low volume. Game. Yeah, um, Juventus did have three guys who dipped below minus 40 on the plus minus that takes them doing two of those in under 30 minutes of game time that is a significant accomplishment um they're basically the the counterforce to Joachim Linden's plus minus per game um yeah this went basically as the script would suggest it should do um Illunion with four guys in double figures, nobody topping 16 points individually. But yeah, that's a big sign when Illunion just like, yeah, everybody can eat. That's fine. Let's go. There is, this is going to sound like a, I'm making a joke at his expense, but it is a genuine point. There, 
I would love to see the like timeline of games in which Amadou has been Elunion's top scorer because it is guaranteed. It's like Joventut, Hetafe, um, who was who was it that was around last year? Ferrell. Um it is all those three teams, and then he had two games against Landil in the last couple of Euro Cups where he had like twenty eight. It's yeah. just like what is going on here. Yeah, um, only saves it for the blowouts or the really important stuff. None yeah. of this mid range nonsense. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Amadou is 16, Pincho Ortega is 16, Greg with 12, uh, Bill Latham with 10, Terry with nine, Tom and Thorne with nine, Hasso with eight. So, real offensive spread by Illunion. And Illunion's um scoring output went 29, 18, 24, and then 12 in the last quarter as they kind of rolled the bench out. But this was um nudging its way towards 100 point territory. Um, if it yeah, went disappointing, they didn't get there. Yeah, don't worry. There's a, there's one of those coming up for anybody who's keeping track. We've talked about a bunch of teams already, so there's a finite number of options as to who might have dropped 100 this week. And sometimes yeah. the obvious and, choice is the best one. Yeah, considering that half the teams didn't play either, so there aren't that many to talk about. Very true. Um, but yeah, this was just difference in class. Not really a whole lot to be learned from. I don't think either team is going to really go away and think about this game and what they can learn from it, because I think some things play out exactly as you expect them to. Yeah. Okay, and speaking oh. of things that played out exactly like you expect them to. Oh, this was, yeah, this was, this might have been my game of the week. Um, Maybe just because, I don't know, Malaga beating Mercia might help us out because yeah. Mercia beat us, but also just, um, also just fun to watch. This was uh, Malaga 64, Mercia 60. So a couple Ooh, of quick hits on this. Um, Mercia obviously beat you guys by one last week in a game where they crushed you in the fourth quarter. Their fourth quarter offense abandoned them in this game, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, this was the Spanish TV game this week. They had the Spanish TV game last week, and they play Illunion on the Spanish TV channel this coming up week. So they're getting Mercia have gone from like cool story who are like, you know, scrapping some players together and rolling out a competitive team to getting the coverage level as if they're wheelchair basketballs, LA Lakers. Um Malaga were up for the fight in this one and I asked you about it at the time, but have you guys managed to club together to um, send Malaga a little gift-wrapped basket of whatever it might be yet? Uh, no, I'm sure they don't think they're doing us favours. I think they're only doing themselves oh. favours. Like, they beat us, then we're, we're, we're all in trouble. Yeah. I um, I thought I was funny sending you, asking if they'd asking if you'd sent them a fruit basket. And then I was like, there would be nothing more redundant than sending fresh fruit to the south of Spain. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, probably... especially from the north of Spain. Yeah. <laughs> Pointless. Um, I couldn't. Pointless. I couldn't think of what the northern Spanish thing that you would send in place of fruit would be. So, if anyone's got a better answer to that, then you are welcome to refactor and use my joke. Yeah. Um. So I knew this was going to be an interesting game when Mercia did the thing where they're kind of back and forward, doing okay. It's maybe not going their way, and then they go, "All right, we're going to press. Why not?" And the second I saw Malaga kind of do all right with the press, I was like, all right, cool. We're in business here. Um, weirdly, Friar game on 
the other end of things, you're 13 of 32, which is the highest number I've ever said on this. I don't know if it's true, but one of the highest shot totals we've had since we've been doing this. Um, shot 40%, obviously not not amazing there, but had a weird one to the point where they subbed him at one point. They pulled him out of the game to kind of see they could get someone else going. And yeah, I don't know what. I just, just had a weird one, I guess. I don't really know what the deal was there, but if he's not going, they're going to struggle. Like he kind of, they kind of live and die by him a little bit. Like obviously they've got other guys that can chip in. Like Lalo had 30 against us last week and he had nine <laughs> Um, which it's a funny one. Do you ever do that thing where you lose to a team and then that team loses and everyone's like, oh, they didn't do that against us last week? And like, yeah, that might say a lot about us. Like, that's not yeah, not a good thing. Um, uh, yeah. I think that that's true. I also think the flip side of it is, I think I'll, I've made no secret over kind of the start of this year and probably last year and maybe even prior to that as well. But we... It feels like we very rarely see actualized Malaga meeting their potential. Uh, it just doesn't happen that often for whatever reason, seemingly no matter who they shuffle in or shuffle out. Um, and watching the first quarter of this game, there was a couple of possessions where I think Kyle brought the ball down, had Pete Cusack on him and Lee ready to defend after the pick. Kyle got off the ball immediately and got away from that. I think Cut got a layup, which he missed, but it was then a put back because the defense had collapsed. And I was like, oh, this is smart. You know, Kyle getting off the ball against these defenders. He has no shot at dribbling past, essentially. Um, A possession or so later, he had Lourdes Ortega on him, and he got off the ball, pushed straight to baseline, got the ball back, shot a mismatch, uh, which I think he made. Very Um, intentional. Yeah, at that point, I was like, oh, this is like Malaga have game planned for these cases very specifically. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, actually, they could just do this against basically every team. You know, don't try and dribble past the fast guys and try and shoot over the small guys is not specific to this matchup. And yet it seems to be the most intentionally they've played. And uh, you talk about intentional, it got to late in the game and Mercia's offense was just like, what in the hell is going on here and like I think they were down to just roll the ball down the court bank shot no action no anything just chuck shot from the wing up missed Malaga got a basket on the other end and then it was Lalo running a pick and roll um turnover to the inside Lee came out at that point I think there was a missed layup in there somewhere um Robles got a three up which he made um, turnover by Pete Cusack, if I remember rightly, and it was just like, what this like this team probably more so than anybody else has benefited from knowing exactly who they are up to this point in the year, playing against a team who I've long felt like don't really know how who they are or how to maximize themselves, and it got to crunch time and composure went completely the opposite way to who I would have thought it would have benefited. Um, yeah, especially them having kind of come through the fire a week ago against us. Like Exactly, yeah. You would think that that would have been good reps for them in terms of like late game execution, but also like against us, it just felt like they hit a load of mad, not mad shots, but like they hit a bunch of threes and 
and then we just blew two layups at the end game. So maybe it's like make or miss stuff. Well, also, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe it's boring. You make or you miss, and then whatever. Well, also, you guys were at a disadvantage by comparison because you had so many guys trying to battle Lalo for rebounds that most of your big shoulders had been pulled out of their sockets by by the time he was just posted up and shooting over people. <laughs> sure, half of them were on the bench watching at that point because of foul. <laughs> um. But, but yeah, yeah, I thought I thought this was an impressive game by Malaga, especially it'll get lost in the shuffle things now. But Mercia were up by like eight points getting around to halftime. Yeah. Um and I I had verged on writing it off there because I haven't seen you know, we've seen a fair few comebacks this year and we've seen a fair few stretches of worse teams sticking with better teams for prolonged stretches, but I didn't really tab Malaga as having the oomph to kind of mount a run on Mercia, and that is exactly what they did. They won the third quarter by nine, which got them back into it. And then the fourth quarter doesn't look so bad if you just look at the 15-13 across the 10 minutes, but it was really like the last four minutes, I think, was something like 12-5 in Malaga's favour. Yeah. Um, also, I did, I've got to talk about the unsportsmanlike uh, technical combo near the end. But first, I just want to say, like, this is another game that I'm like, wow, signing Sandoval really makes a big difference. Because if you go their team from the last couple of years, I don't know if they would have handled the press as well. There were a couple of times where it was like, oh, yeah, no, this this guy's just going to, like, smash through this. Like, <laughs> this guy's, like, this is a sledgehammer to a bit of drywall. Like, yeah, exactly. Just that sort of directness and that physicality, and obviously, like you've got guys that can move on that team. Um, um, this Barca can really shift his chair, but like I don't know, like we've played them a couple of times in the last few years, and you kind of feel like if you're able to stop this Barca, you can kind of figure everything else out. I mean, in terms of pressing, but um, just having another guy that can really shift, and once he gets going, he's like a freight train. I think that really makes a difference getting out of that press and it kind of drags everyone towards the baseline, which gives the shooters a load of space. But yeah, I wanted to talk about this unsportsmanlike uh, technical because it was Malaga by four, I believe. No, Malaga by five at that point. I, I think it was five at that stage. Yeah, it was. Sorry, Malaga by five at that point. Um, Esparza goes for a rebound, I think. Yes, I think it was. Yeah, Sparta goes for a rebound. Might have not. Might not have even been a foul. Certainly nothing on sportsman like about it. From what I could see, maybe it's different in person. I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe it was absolutely criminal amount of conduct. I have no idea. But like going on sportsman like, and then immediate tech for protesting is just like, all right, the game's at five. Here's three free throws and the ball back. Like if. I don't know if you if you thought the if you thought people cared about this sport enough to want it to go a certain way, you'd have been like, ah, this seems too, this seems too specific. But um, just absolutely terrible, terrible refereeing at the end. I think like I and I've we've spoken about the fact that referees blow the end of games a lot, but this wasn't even intentional foul to stop the game that you could be stupid and call on sportsman like, even though it's literally part of the game. This is just like. You did that, but not even in that situation. You just blew it out of thin air. But yeah. I'm kind of like for one for that reason. I'm kind of glad that the game ended up the way it did because that is criminally bad refereeing. I think. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, this has been something we we've touched on and off as we've been doing this, but the despite the league getting stronger um, year after year, the refereeing certainly hasn't got any better. Let's put it that way, and there is a little bit of, for my liking, there is a little bit too much of refs not being able to let the play decide the game. Um, and especially, I think, those late-game situations. I think there was actually an interesting um, kind of comparison point to this where I don't know if you remember, but early early in the game, Lee tipped the ball away and was chasing it for what would have been a fast-break layup, kind of clashed wheels with Kyle, and they both ground to a halt. Um, no call. Both Lee and the Mercia coach, whose name escapes me. Um, Mercia's Frank, coach is Frank Belen. Frank Belen, that's the guy. Uh, more on him in a second. But um, <laughs> yeah, they both like screamed at the referee in like comical, animated, you know, silent movie overacting fashion. Um, and there was neither a foul given that would have been called non sportsmanlike, seemingly at any other point. And there was no technical given out, despite I think both Lee and Frank Millen crossing the line in terms of trying to show the ref up. And then to have that level of indifference early in the game and that level of short fuse late in the game, I would have always thought it should be the other way around. Like as the game gets more and more heated, you've got to obviously still keep a lid on things, but you can't just, you know, of course, tempers are going to be running high and emotions are going to be teetering on getting the best of people and you've got to make some allowances for that as long as people aren't being you know outright reckless or stupid um yeah that's the thing like i always find it interesting when referees have no tolerance for obviously like verbal abuse is one thing but like when referees have no tolerance for like being disagreed with you're like you're in the wrong you're in the wrong spot here man <laughs> and they're like i absolutely there are technicals where you hear what someone says to a ref and you're like yeah absolutely give a technical out but it's like you you can't feel weird about the fact that I disagree with you and tell you such. Like it's um yeah, it's intensely strange. Uh back to Frank Blair very quickly. They obviously had the mics on in the timeouts. And I forgot about this. He's French, I think. And yes. he, he runs his timeouts. Oh, what do you mean you think? You 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 can hear the accent. Like he is so French. Yeah. Um I don't know. I I don't think I know enough about, especially the the uh, speed of talking Spanish or whatever. I don't think I can pick accents out. But he does his timeouts in Spanish and then repeats himself in English for the benefit of um, the English speaking players. And that is a nutso level of communication capability in two languages, neither of which are your first one to be able. To yeah, get first and second language is one thing, but second yeah. and third is unbelievable. Um, also. He has Luigi, who's a French speaker who wasn't there for this game for whatever reasons. Maybe he's secretly Hispanic as well. But um, yeah, presumably he relies on Luigi being able to speak one of Spanish or English or enough of both because I doubt he repeats himself in French. <laughs> I, I saw he's like, if he speaks to him one on one, obviously it's in French. But yeah, Luigi's English and Spanish are, are both great. So yeah, um, yeah he could yeah, probably sure. pick and choose. Shout out to him. I thought that was mad impressive. And yes. Lee Fry are one of the all-time most difficult accents to understand. So the fact that <laughs> they they have any ability to communicate is is impressive in and of itself. 
I um, wonder did that I wonder that were they like dying to get someone like Pete Kuzak in for translating. <laughs> um maybe that's it. Yeah. yeah. He went to the perfect spot because they were like, um, I don't mean Pete, I mean Lee, in terms of like a good coach, good framework, but also like maybe linguistically it was like, ah, you can kind of have a bit of freedom because like I don't <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Like the coach Frank is probably like I, I there's probably times where he doesn't understand like if I speak English in Bilbao, people look at me funny. I'm very glad I don't have to. Yeah, entirely fair. But yeah, um, all right. To wrap on this game, Esparza with 21 points on 18 shots to lead Malaga. Um, 11 rebounds for him. Another Mexican double-double for Sandoval, who has had 16 and 13. Um, I said Mexican double-double as if that was different to a regular double-double, as if you have to get a double of something else. Um, 12 yeah. points. You said, and- you said Mexican because you wanted to point out the fact that at one point there were five Mexicans on court, which I think, honestly, apart from, I don't know, like Amiab games where there are more English people on court or certainly <laughs> British people on court, but probably at least five English people anyway and Spanish guys, obviously. I'd say this is probably next. I don't know if there's ever, if there's a game where there's more of the yeah, same nationality. Like, I don't know if there's a game where there's five Americans on court or five Dutch people. I don't... What do you reckon these guys' group chat was like before this game? They're like, hey, there's this burrito spot for after um, after we're done here. And they're like, no, no, there's this burrito spot. No, no, there's this one. I can only imagine what the meal these guys had was when they got together after the game. To be fair, it was in Malaga. If it was in Mercia, the one burrito spot to go to is Urban Burrito Bar because it's run by uh, some of Anna's relatives. <laughs> Yeah, shout out to those guys. Free plug. Um, yeah, right. Should we go to Germany where they don't have Urban Burrito Bar? Let's do it. I All right. About them. Yes. Uh, yeah, there's one thing you can say. Um, also, there shouldn't just be one thing you can say about a certain country. And if you do have one thing that you're dying to say about certain countries, I probably don't want to hear it. Um, all right. Uh, this one was Vikal59. Um, Donek. Dolphins, uh, Trier, 88. Play the game. Mark, how many did he have? Well, I'm going to assume we're talking about Passavan. However, I would like to um, propose we shift the candidate of this game because not only did he have 24 on 70% shooting, Patrick Dorner and Trier's first 10 points, I think. Yeah, um, unbelievable. Passavan had 34 points and 20 rebounds and eight assists because, you know, what else do you do with your Saturday? But, um, yeah, this was wild. Um, put it this way, when I saw this scoreline, I was like, oh, that's weird. That's also now the second time Trier's completely blown out one of these teams who re- very recently had a close game against each other. So Cologne and Zwickau went to overtime last week and Trier have now been Cologne by like 25 and Zwickau by 29 or whatever this adds up to. Um, so establishing themselves as head and shoulders above that. But these, had you asked me before this game, I would have said these are both teams with, you know, tangible strengths and very obvious flaws and therefore it should be close enough because I think they can each pick on each other's weak points um, that apparently doesn't matter when Passavan's going to shoot 
nearly 60%. And he also brings Patrick Dorner along for the ride, who, if you were to just watch this game with almost no other knowledge of what's been happening this year or who any of these players were, you would kind of be looking at Patrick Dorner and be like, oh, he looks like he's going to get snapped up by Landil or Thuringen or somebody else. And not just that he's some guy who I think works part-time, trains part-time and has a nice quiet life in Trier and gets buckets occasionally. You kind of say him like splitting his points so evenly, like four from six from two, four from five from three and four from four from the free throw line. It's just so like, it's just so weird. (laughs) It's just such an even spread. Shooting, like making the exact same amount from one, two and three is really funny to me. And I don't know why. That's just so like, it also meet, it also meets our favorite criteria where it looks like that shouldn't add up to twenty four points, but what do you know? It does. Um, yeah, twelve points on four shots. I'll get you most of the way there. That is true. Um, yeah, this was over after the first quarter because it was twenty eight fourteen Trier, and it was just everything that I thought Zvikow would have learned in the run of close games they've had seemingly doesn't matter a great deal when the team you're playing against shoots 57%. Um, Passavan as well with one of the all-time filthiest quarter-ending shots where he pump-faked a double jump, squeezed through the two defenders and hit a pull-up. I think he faked the top of the key three, squeezed the gap between the two of them, got to just below the free-throw line and hit a little rolling bank shot. And it was like, yeah, that pretty much sums up this quarter. Yeah, it's very like, hey, if you're going to double him, better stop him. Yeah, exactly. My thing of like, hey, you double better, you double better matter. Like, um, so we're gonna get to this in a little bit when we have a bit of a look at standings. But Tria just seemed, despite having made almost no meaningful additions to their team, are just way better than they have been in past years consistently. I think they would always be good for a single game upset where Passavan went mental, but they're on. You know, something of a streak here. They've not, you know, challenged the top two teams in any sense, but they're either blowing out middle of the pack teams or they're cutting it close against, you know, a couple of the the not quite top twos. Um, what's different about them is the thing that I can't figure out and how they're suddenly much better than they have been since we've been doing this. Yeah, I don't know. Are they getting I don't even I don't want to like. It's it's easy to look at Patrick Dorner having twenty four this this week and be like, are they getting more consistent? But no, they're not. Like Patrick Dorner's averaging eight nine eight nine points a game. Um, Walter Blandieren's been averaging yeah. double figures at least. Um, but yeah, and the, I don't know. I don't know if we can say he's getting more help than it. Well, maybe he is. I. Um, I can draw it to a couple of things, which I'm not sure I really believe add up to the, some of the parts we're seeing. I don't think they're better defensively. Like, they're still... I actually do, you know, despite the fact they are... Okay, better, but not good, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Um. I think they're good enough that they're not relying on just outscoring everybody every game. Um. Donna has his averages aren't amazing, but he does seem to be consistently making enough weak side shots that teams are worried about it. Um, They seem fully committed to using the fact that Walter Vlanderen is the fastest player to ever live and just having him break defenses down 
single-handedly or feeding him the ball if he gets ahead of the defense. Corey Rossi is averaging less than five points, which he's typically been Dirk's second in command. Um, I think he's doing what they need him to do. He's taking almost no perimeter shots at all anymore. Um, He's just playing as a role guy and an inside finisher or at least like an inside threat. And yeah, it's a really nebulous, possibly not great answer, but they seem to have accepted, hey, this is kind of what we have to work with. Our best chance is to fine-tune each individual piece and see if it bumps us up, you know, one or two notches collectively. And so far, so good, Um, at least against a team like Zwickau. Yeah, be interesting to... uh, I don't don't know if they're really going to challenge... Um, have they played Hanover or Wiesbaden yet? I don't. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember. But so many games. But I, in fact, I think did did they have a close game against Hanover? Or is that Munsterland? I'm thinking of so many of these German teams. Just ah, uh, Munsterland certainly did. So maybe maybe that's what you're thinking of. Uh, it's all a blur already, and it's November. Great news. <laughs> Great news. This is why people come to us for this info for the for the mental clarity that you can trust. Um, God. Uh, right, should we shift on? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Lucas Glosner game just dropped. Um, <laughs> Munsterland 53. Um, Iguanas 54. Lucas with the game winner. There are two types of people in this world bedwetters and bread getters. <laughs> and Lucas hasn't wet the bed for years. Let's go. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this was, this was. Uh, I don't know if it was that fun or if my friend hit a game winner. Um, this was all right, back and forward. Um, there was points in this game where I just because I knew that Munich had won, uh, and I kind of didn't get it because it was just like the big thing for Munich. They were uh, Kit Lang's back, so they were able to go four big and Lucas as their only small guy who is not a small guy. Otherwise, um, big. Yeah, the six foot four small guy. Um, so they were able to go massive. Uh, but there were points where it was like even then. I know Kate Lang brings a bit more order. Like we I've spoken about the fact that I think the whole thing with Munich is like they're they're bigs, it's kinda like get down the floor and skip, skip, skip until someone hits like a mad eighteen footer. There's no like I hit shots, so then this guy gets inside. There's no there's no like A and therefore B and then f- therefore C. Like there's no progression to it, it seems like, but it, there's a bit more obviously with Kate Lang on the floor. Um, but those points where I was watching it where they were kind of trying to run similar styles, obviously Munster and go for big and the big low pointer in Ilse Arts all the time as well. And I was just like, well, Munsterland can just run this better and they get inside a bit more and they're Bigs are probably better finishers and better at everything that isn't just hitting tough shots. But then I don't know if this game goes to fifty odd. It doesn't really matter. Like if they, if I think it makes more sense in theory, but then Soren Muller, the best player in the universe, goes six from twenty, and Julian Lammering is six from twenty-one. Yeah, it doesn't matter if I if I like what you're going for more. If it doesn't get there, so if you yeah. shoot like that, there's enough chance for Munich to stay in the game, and then. So Lucas wins the game on a layup from an absolute 
bullet of a pass, but <laughs> I can't like that would have taken my head off, and he managed to catch it and finish. But it was a, it was interesting what you say about you know Munich. There's no seemingly no defined sequence to the offense most of the time. It's kind of like hey, pass it to one wing. This guy will shoot if he makes it. We'll give it to him again on his next one. If not, we'll give it to one of our other bigs, and they can shoot outside next time. But and I think it's maybe when they, it was more when they were playing four big. I mean, three big and two ones, where it's yeah. kind of a symptom of having a one on either block, where you go catch the ball, get jumped, and just skip it. Like there's never any. There was not. There was very little. Like I'm gonna leverage this to get inside, but yeah. I don't yeah. know. Um, but I actually thought they got Munich got hot just at the right time because they went from like down four points to um, Florian Mark hit he had eleven points and I think he hit four straight shots at one point in the fourth quarter so he will have been on three points for the majority of the game um, made so made one from the left wing and then I think he made three straight from the right wing and then they ran that right wing play again. Lucas had hit a point pick, I think, before um, the ball had been swung, and he got the baseline cut, finished it, and it was a tough finish over, um, take your pick of one of the Lammering brothers, I can't remember which one it was, but <laughs> it was an above-the-head catch and like a semi-post-up while his chair spun out of control over a three or three-and-a-half-pointer, and yeah, tough finish, man. Um, Munich are consistently keeping games in the 50s at least against some of the weaker teams. They obviously went to 70-odd against Cologne in overtime, but that was like an outlier shooting game if ever there was one. But mm-hmm. they lost to Trier by one, um, 50-something, 50-something, and they win this one 54-53. So with the shooting they've got, if they can keep the other team in the 50s, they theoretically should be able to cobble enough stuff together. But yeah, this... um. They've got a new lineup option with Kate Lang, um, Gabriel Robler, who'd been our favorite watch for the last couple of um season, last couple of weeks of this season here. Um, didn't play, didn't shoot the ball particularly well. He was three from twelve, but they got enough from their other bigs. And I did enjoy the um the Robel versus Zoran Muller. I can't remember if I messaged you about this, but it was like the Spider Man's pointing at each other meme being like, Hey, no, I'm gonna make more bank shots. <laughs> no, you did not text me about that. I but did, I did mean to. I did use that description on something else, and I think I then thought thought about it. Um, yeah, you're like, like, "Hey, I'm done now," so that's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, shout out to Munich, man. While we're about it, quickly, do you know what Munster's record is off the top of your head? No, do you? I do indeed. Hence why I asked you. Otherwise, it would have been a terrible setup question. Oh, no, but- I thought you were asking me. I thought you wanted to know what is it. Munsterland is zero and six this year. Which is very surprising to me because I think this is their... They ran Landil to single digits in the first game of the season. They've had at least two one-point losses. And I think all their games have been close enough that I have assumed they've stuck a win in there somewhere. And because all their games have been competitive and not been blown out at no point, have I been like, man, this team's struggling, but... Yeah, we're... um, Yeah, fifth best team in the league last year, probably, and yeah, one one yet. Obviously, Matthias Spellers being the big subtraction, but yeah, they just do not feel. Even watching them, they do not feel like a zero win team. No, um, and it is slightly unfair to them because they were meant to play Skywheelers a week or so ago, and 
Uh, I think that game got cancelled, so they would theoretically have scratched the itch and got a win in that one. I would, would like to think, at the very least. But yeah, a couple of tough losses for them, man. Tough season so far, but I guess shows how fragile all this stuff is, man, because they could easily be at least three and three by now, probably. Yeah, it's tough. Um, yeah, a little weird, because I think you're kind of like, hey, they're just other teams are scraping by them, but like you don't, I don't know, no points for just losing a game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 100 club. Should we do this one? Yeah, congrats to the Turingia Bulls who broke out the third digit once again. Um, 100 to 53. Cologne also having quite a tough season. Um, but yeah, man, they... Yeah. And 23, time, 26, 24, and 27 in the four quarters, respectively, just consistently laying it on them. Um, big one was the second quarter. They beat them 26-6, but yeah, mad. <laughs> they got 100 points up despite shooting 66 attempts. That's like, I don't, I can't do the maths on that. Is that like 1.3 points per shot attempt, something like that? I have no idea. That's the two two thirds of um two thirds of all their shot attempts would have produced something at the very least. Seventy percent shooting for the game. Um plus minuses. I think the lowest one we've got is twenty one. And then we've got thirteen at the end there from Mario. Only played a handful of minutes, but this is obviously Driss Said is still out. Carlos Podnik's playing in his place. So Durham came to this game with nine, but Unlike some of their other shorthanded games, they have very much gone with their top nine guys here against, you know, I'm sure Cologne were looking at some of the benches they'd rolled out in previous games and being like, oh, maybe we can steal a few minutes here. But when nope. your bench is Carlos Podnik, Jordi Ruiz, who had 25, Hubahaga and Ari Twigs, you're probably not, st- you know, you could roll those four out plus one of the starter and they might beat Cologne as it was. So yeah. Um wild. Jordy was 25 off the bench again. Yeah, in, in 28 minutes. Um yeah, this was obviously they're coming off the loss to Landil, which no part of them would have been thrilled about. And yeah, they as we've detailed with them many times, they're not the sort to um have the kind of, you know, we'll just show up in the first quarter and get it done they will show up in the first quarter and get it done, and then they will proceed to do the same for quarters two, three, and four. Yeah, they don't have um, breaks, as we've <laughs> discussed. Like, they have no breaks, just accelerators. Yeah, exactly. Foot for 40 minutes. Uh, yeah, that, that takes a lot, because I don't know, like, you've we've both played in teams where we've won games by this much, and we've probably both lost by this much as well, and it's tough yeah. to... It's tough to just keep running through your stuff and smashing teams like at some point you mentally do kind of take the foot off and it says a lot about these guys that they just don't yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, yeah Cologne side after the success against Vicar the other week they started Thomas Raya who was kind of the, the breakout star of that game um, bringing Baluk Kodal off the bench was an interesting choice in this game given that Thuringen's main go-to weapon is having two guys who are bigger than everybody on the opposing team typically and I guess they just thought he'd get pushed off the floor yeah um that's most likely it yeah um exacerbated Turing's, Turing's actual main thing is they just play harder than everyone most of the time like 
Yeah, they do. Um, and the big guys are the beneficiaries of that, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, to compound the issue, Robin Pogenvish with zero points in 26 minutes, and he's... Four attempts. Yeah, he, he's your most mobile guy against a very mobile team, so if he's not able to get creating, at least for, you know, setting the big guys up or whatever. Tough sledding. Um, Umut Akbay, slight breakout candidate of Cologne's season so far. He's had a couple of good games in a row now. Um, been quite impressed with him, especially with Matthias Heimbach missing this game. I thought he gave him good production. He had 14 points on. Very efficient shooting, given the nature of this one. Um, but yeah, Cologne just unfortunate to catch Thuringen the week after a disappointing loss. I dare say they're not the only team this would have happened to. Yeah. But yeah, that's the thing. You kind of you were yeah, you were getting it. <laughs> no matter what, which is tough. Uh yeah. tough look. Um, but right. I don't know, man. That was yeah, as you say, there are probably three teams that could have stopped this from happening. And um, Cologne was not one of them. Um Last thing before we get to Germany's last game, the one we're not going to spend a huge amount of time on this week. A uh, bit of a throwaway, but Wiesbaden beat Skywheelers 69-46, uh, despite being without Aaron Young, uh, Poisson Lai, and Mikey Pei, who's player coach. Those guys obviously all involved with Team Canada or Team USA. Um Good week for it to fall for Wiesbaden, who took care of business. We're not going to go into this one because there were seemingly no stats from this game and we don't think a 23-point uh, difference with a bunch of the more intriguing players missing really merits a huge amount of discussion. So yeah, It was interesting in the start just because it took them a while to figure it out, but they played like two ones, a two, and two four fives. Yeah. Like it was a weird... It's a weird lineup. They went Jim, Chris Huber, Nico Drymuller, uh, Heiss, and um, Kamali, which is fun, fun, fun to get a lot of Kamali minutes. But even then, it kind of started working a little better when they got Keikita on the floor. But it just, I don't know, everyone was kind of bumped into a different spot than they're used to. And it was just a point where it was like Nico Drymuller getting good looks and just not going in and him yeah. having to shoot his way through it. Whereas maybe he'd have been able to pick his spots a little more. Um, with everyone yeah, well, there, and then they just figured want, it out anyway. Like, he wanted to stick it to his old team. That's all it was. Was he was like, ah, "There is no way I'm having a bad shooting game against these guys. I'm going to get my numbers regardless." Yeah, yeah, but no, they figured it out in the end. But probably cool for those guys to come through a game like that. Yeah. They seemed happy about it anyway. But yeah, not a whole lot to, not a whole lot to be going on about. Cool. Shall we go to? Probably the most consequential game of Germany this weekend. Yes. Hanover United 52, RSV Landale 65. Away you go. Um, so first thing that kind of impressed me in Landale's starters anyway, they went um uh Mendel, Matthias Gunther, Kalavice, Quintin and Tommy. Um, defensively, I thought I thought their rotations were just on the money for large stretches. The game was really impressed. I think Mendel's kind of helped them in that regard. He's quick, obviously, very mobile, gets his hands ever, but he's also just a smart guy and probably like a good communicator, and I'm sure that helps them. But like Mendel also relishes playing 
disadvantage defense where he has to take two guys for a second and he's always like oh, this actually works to my advantage because i can outthink people or seemingly anyway he's the, like wheelchair basketball's leader in stealing a pass when it's a two-on-one and he's the remaining defender have you do you know that that's his favorite thing in the world like have you spoken to him or are you just i think you told me it? about it uh, the clip that always sticks with me is when he had to defend a three-on-one fast break at one of those crappy Euro Cup rounds that was like shove eight teams together because COVID and didn't want to do the qualifiers and whatever. And he had a three-on-one fast break he was defending and he managed to just tip the pass back into whoever was trying to offload the ball's hands and then force a jump ball. <laughs> I was like, oh man, this guy lives for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's his favorite thing. So I'm sure he'll be happy to hear you say that. But you're welcome. Yeah, no, I was just really impressed with they were kind of flying around, pinging around, and started quite well because of it. First quarter was 21 12. Um, especially like how to remove the ball quite well and are all sort of mid sized guys. And they were able to sort of put the ball where they wanted it to, uh, where they wanted it to go defensively. And yeah, and then as they rotated out, like, other lineups didn't work. They these obviously they're roseless um yeah. at the minute. So they ran a their usual sort of four four three two one with payment Mizen. Uh didn't quite work as well, but like it's not meant to. Um when you're going a little further down the bench than you normally would. Um but their four of their starters are in double figures and which basically like Mendel played in a couple of different lineups, but there are four other starters that are kind of majority. The two fours, two threes in Katavice, um were all 14, plus 14, plus 17, and plus 13. So it's like, hey, that starting lineup was comfortable. And then the rest of them kind of held their own ish. Yeah. Um, I come away from this one, I think similar to... I don't know if you remember, there was Hanover versus Landil about this point last season, if not slightly later maybe, but there was a game where Hanover were up double digits on last year's Landil that were still figuring some stuff out. Um, they never really did, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I never said <laughs> I never said they did, but they, they still believed at that point that they were, they were in the process of doing it. Um, yeah, and th- that game I remember coming away feeling that was obviously when Sean Norris was new and he'd kind of re rejigged the structure of the team a little bit. Um, and they felt like an unknown quantity at that point. And I remember coming away being like, man, if there was ever a game for Hanover to steal, that was the one. And Landil's kind of corporate knowledge squeaked them through that one, even though I didn't think they were the better team. And I think they were the better team in this game, but I came away with a little bit of the same feeling where there's a bunch of little giveaways in the stats where I look at it from the Hanover perspective. I'm like, man, if there was ever, if you were going to get Landil and trip him up, this was probably going to be it. Um, Yeah. Just from the standpoint of Hanover, not a huge team. Landil's bigs shot a combined, let me do the maths real quick. Nine of thirty-one. Um, so the size disadvantage is somewhat mitigated by some bad shooting from their end. Um, and yeah, man, I think if you're the underdog in Hanover, we saw this exact same thing last week where I think Landil came into the game against the Ringham as the underdog, and everything about what they did screamed, We have to get first blood, and they did. 
and the game was at arm's length from there. And Landil this time came in as the favourites. They landed the first punch, and the game was at arm's length from there. So I'm not saying had Hanover had a you know decent first quarter, they would have held Landil off the rest of the game, but the other three quarters are all within one or two points of each other, and it's not like Landil was rolling the bench out um, from that point onwards. So Tommy obviously came out firing. Um, I think he got 13 of his 23 points in the first quarter, if I remember rightly. Um, yeah, something like that. And yeah, man, I look at it from Hanover's standpoint, and all the ingredients for an upset kind of look like they were on the table at that point, but you let the you know more experienced, argue you know more talented team. I don't think that's really arguable. You let them land the first punch, and you never really recovered. Um, I thought they did well to hang competitive for the rest of the game, but they were just never able to overcome that. It felt like, and I wonder how things would have been different if the first quarter hadn't set the tone. Um, other than that. Decent balance scoring from Hanover. Alex Bird, a leading scorer with only 11. And yeah, I thought had they got a little bit more from Tom McHugh, who's their best chance to match these guys for size, he had a tough game with just two points in a little less than 12 minutes. Thought he was key for them. Uh, I thought Tobias Hell had a good game as well, given the physicality of the guys he was up against. Um, he's yeah. come on a lot and him and Yannick look like the extreme inside and the extreme outside of like a set of Russian dolls or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I thought that might I'm be a... the sign, but just those five seconds. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought Hanover, it was there for the taking on this occasion and they didn't seize it. And the... yeah, that's kind of the thing if you don't get them when you've got someone missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're probably not going to get another chance this good. Um, is what it comes down to. So better hope they can sneak a win on Thuringen in the meantime. Yeah, a little sneak one. Um, I don't think they're doing it if it's in the 60s. Uh, yeah. No, I think actually, never mind. No, I think they are because I certainly don't think they're doing it if it's in the hundreds. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think Hanover are able to kind of keep most teams sticking around because they're just mobile enough defensively and kind of all pretty big, but I don't... Yeah, I... I I can't say it. Good for good for Landil to kind of scrape through this one, but it didn't. I don't know how. I don't know how much I felt like it was ever really there, even though it was one big quarter and three quite close quarters. I kind of no, I think that's fair. I felt yeah. relatively in control the whole time. I think Tommy shooting well a couple of weeks in a row is encouraging for them as well. Um, obviously he, he shot well for ten years, but he's had sort of some streaks recently where they've not been great, but two big games in a row and he's shot well in both of them and it's a good sign for them because they need that. Yeah, absolutely. The lesson for anybody listening is there is absolutely never a single downside to punching first as long as we're talking about basketball and not real life. Basketball and metaphors. Um, All right, should do the belt and get out of here. Let's do it. We went for an hour anyway, even though we were like, hey, we might need to scrape some time. That's absolutely it's fun not having the like headline games, you know, like a handful of big ones because I feel like there's a bunch of teams we don't really get into. Like if we'd have had Amiab and whoever else and Burgos playing this um, week, we probably would have gone deep on a few more teams. But I feel Us like and Burgos, it would have been. We've um, we've leveled out some of our coverage, I think. Yeah, 
Have yeah. you got, have you got a belt candidate? Um, Jaime Esparza? That was my one as well. Either him or... I think him or Sandoval are both reasonable takes, but I think Esparza... I, I feel very inclined to reward his efficient games because some of Malaga's bad games, it's like, just going to have to grit my teeth and watch this. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of living or dying by it, and sometimes there's a lot of dying. I feel, um, I feel like the, the whole thing where it's like, the number of times I have to tell my little one no on any given day, I absolutely have to remember to reward her when she does what she's meant to do. <laughs> I feel like this, the same thing with this person. I'm like, hey, keep doing this. Likening him to a one-year-old. I don't know if that's great. Uh, That'd be funny. He does. Yeah. He does. That's, that's probably true. All <laughs> right. Cool. Uh, yeah, that'll do. Thanks for listening. Let's get out of here. Um, and yeah, talk to you next week. See you all soon. Peace. Bye.